You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. I would imagine that a lot of people um, who listen are also those kinds of people that jump in and they do volunteer work and they do service work. And one of the things that is incredibly important to talk about is the importance of that, but how do we continue to care for ourselves and take care of the things that are also incredibly important, like our livelihood, our families, our health, while we're also doing this service work? Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Hello, in this episode, Angela is joining me, and we're discussing how we're balancing service work and volunteerism within our personal and professional lives. And so, Angela, thanks so much for joining me today. Happy to be here. Alrighty, so... Just for some context, um, as you know, I have always, or as you may know, you may not know this, I've always got a lot of things going on between projects, between, you know, um, books that I'm reading, between different things that I'm doing out in the world. And here recently, since at least, I guess it started way back in like March of last year. Hmm, probably, yeah. Um, but accelerating um, has been... Um, my involvement with the Wayfinding Academy. Um, I was previously a board member, now I'm the board chair, and I've recently become a board member of Social Venture Partners um, here in Portland. And Social Venture Partners, well, I can explain both of them, but, you know, the reality is, um, as much as we talk about displacement and doing one thing displaces something else, we I have two new major commitments here that are testing the boundaries of um, what I can do and different expectations because, I mean, they're displacing something else. And so I've been doing that for the last well, period of time. And Angela, let's go ahead and talk about what you're doing as well. Yeah. Um, so starting a little before that, a year and a half ago, I'd say it's probably been about two and a half years for me. I started spending more and more time in service in a certain organization here in Portland And it um, takes quite a bit of my time. And um, around the same time last year, probably March or April last year, I also started uh, doing a lot more volunteer work with Wayfinding Academy as well. So I already had an organization um, that I was a part of that I was spending a lot of volunteer hours and service work and then added uh, doing the Wisdom Council at Wayfinding as well a little over a year ago. And um, that has expanded to be a much uh, broader um, position and taken more time. And so um, a lot of the conversations that Charlie and I have been having over, you know, the last quarter and off and on in different ways over the last year and a half have been how much time are we giving um, to service and to volunteerism which is incredibly important to both of us. We really enjoy being a part of our community uh, and giving back in that way. And um, we've also had to 
make some important decisions about what those boundaries look like um, when it comes to our volunteer and service work. For even more context, because I'm sure it's going to come up as we talk about what we're learning and why we're doing it, um, I'll go ahead and talk about SVP in Wayfinding Academy, and then you can mm-hmm. talk a little bit about 14th Moon mm-hmm. um, so that so people get a sense of it. So the Wayfinding Academy is a new college here in Portland, and what we're attempting to do, or what we are doing, better saying, is we're um, flipping the college experience on its head. Typically, you know, kids go to school, they go to their primary education, and then when they start thinking about going to college, they go to college, they pick the college based upon sort of what they want to do in the world, and, um, you know, they learn a bunch of classes, and then about, you know, their senior year after, they start figuring out, like, who do I want to be in the world? What type of person am I? Um, And we think that's fundamentally backwards. And so um, it's a program that actually starts with putting the student first and who they want to be in the world and helping them find their highest and best use and the next steps that they need um, to do to do this. This is a real college, folks. It's accredited or we are going up for accrediting and and students walk away with an associates in self and society. And um, so I've been involved in that for, I think, longer than March. I want to say it's longer than March. So it's it's been a while. It's been a minute, um, as the kids say. <laughs> and so um, I was previously um, the um, chair of the Wisdom Council, which is a subcommittee that um, helps design the programming for the guide program, which is our mix of academic um, coaches and, and personal coaches and um, career coaches. And... Um, I've recently, like I mentioned, become board chair. So um, that that's sort of that organization. Um, social Venture Partners is, there's actually a lot of Social Venture Partners. There's probably one in your region. But here in Portland, it's focusing on bridging the gap in pre-K education for people that are part of our minority populations, or excuse me, our priority populations, which are people of color, immigrants, and people from um, low-income families. So um, what we've noticed is that, or what's just known is that there's a huge gap in pre-K education for those populations, and it leads to poor outcomes later on. You can pretty much track people's educational outcomes based upon the availability of pre-K for them. And so we're the bridge between the public and the private sector on that, building solutions um, that, that are really making that number of students, of kids who don't have access to pre-K much, much smaller. So um, I'm committed to it for a lot of different reasons, and we might get into that. Um, Angela, you want to talk about 14th Moon? Uh, yeah, sure, I can talk about that. So um, so just to kind of reiterate here, Charlie is the chair of the board at Wayfinding and also on the board at SVP. So that is definitely taking quite a bit of time um, and energy. Um, I'm also involved in wayfinding um, on the Wisdom Council, now the chair of it, since Charlie is now the chair of the board at wayfinding. Um, And that is definitely taking a fair amount of time um, to uh, really focus on the guide program um, and really bolstering that. So in addition to that work at wayfinding, I have also been on the board and the committee for... um, I guess the best way to describe it would be a women's spiritual community that's here in Portland. And I um, am in the very middle of a four-year commitment there. Um, And it involves uh, monthly meetings, multiple monthly meetings, especially in the spring and summer as we get towards our big event 
uh, towards the end of summer. And specifically, my role there is actually um, kind of the right-hand person for the um, the spiritual leaders of that community for this four-year period. Um, and so there's been a lot of uh, time and energy that's been committed to that. And then in addition, for those of you who are familiar with uh, volunteer service work within religious or spiritual organizations, you know that there's also a um, kind of this sacred spiritual component of, of it as well. So there's that administrative part that you do, but there's also that that sacred space that is held that um, can take a lot of energy um, and a lot of um time to hold in a good way. Alrighty. So that's the context for the organizations and, and what we're doing in there. So we can start with the very obvious question. There's two obvious questions. <laughs> One is why do this anyways, like at any capacity, volunteerism mm-hmm. and service work and why we jumped on the boards as opposed to just volunteering and being a member of those communities. Right. And so I'll flip it over to you. Why are we even, why are you even involved in the ones that you're involved in? Well, there's a tongue-in-cheek answer here, which we we could definitely talk about, and we probably do need to talk about as um, that's just what I do, and I I won't answer for you, but that's just what you kind of do as well. We jump in, um, and a part of um, productive flourishing, and the reason why we've set up productive flourishing the way we have is that being integrated into our community is an important part of the work that we do here. And that obviously takes on the form um, of many different roles within PF. You know, in particular, there's there's speaking, there's coaching, there's consulting, there's facilitating, all these other things, um, podcasting, writing, reviewing, Um, And then there's also this uh, community aspect of it where we want to be a hub for our community. We want to be a safe place for our community. Um, And then outside of just the the internet part of it or the specific PF part of it is the way we integrate into our larger community, which includes these educational institutions, which includes these spiritual institutions. and, and other ways that we're part of the community. And so um, one of the things that, that we've talked about, and I think it's part of why we've, we came to the point of having this conversation today, is that we're both people who tend to jump all in with whatever it is we're doing and we're a part of. And that's a great quality to have. And... Um, it can also sometimes get you into a situation where maybe you jump in a little too fast. Um, and so I wouldn't say that either one of us has necessarily jumped into any of this a little too fast, um, but we have had to continue having conversations during these these times that we've been involved to ask one another, to check in with one another, like, hey, how are you doing? on um, keeping your boundaries around what you said you would or wouldn't do with this organization or this group. Um, Is it still feeling like a good fit for you? Is it still in alignment for the work you want to be doing in the world? Um, 
Are there any challenges that are coming up that I can help support you with? So um, I feel like that's kind of where this conversation came from today and why we're having it is that I would imagine that a lot of people um, who listen are also those kinds of people that jump in and they do volunteer work and they do service work. And one of the things that is incredibly important to talk about is the importance of that, but how do we continue to care for ourselves and take care of the things that are also incredibly important, like our livelihood, our families, our health, while we're also doing this service work? I'm going to answer the question in a somewhat different way, because um, there's there's multiple levels of why here. And, and it's an important thing. From a value perspective, Angela's absolutely right. Part of what we do through PF has always been to support our community in different ways. And there are specific choices we make in our community to do things um, that are um, what other people would, would say would be extremely generous and things like that, because not everything we do in PF is something that we want to either charge for or monetize for or exclude other people from being in it. So I'm thinking, you know, the monthly momentum calls and, you know, the campfire and things like that, which are things that actually cost us to mm-hmm. um, to continue to do that it's questionable whether the return is there, but that's not the financial like has an yeah. economic cost and it's not sure it's not clear that there's an economic return and it's still worth doing mm-hmm. because of the values that we have of, of service and things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing. Another thing um, is that um, one of the reasons I've gotten more and more involved, especially now with SVP and I might do something else, but I'm probably at my limit of things to do is that, um, to me, I see them as a, think about it as like proactive activism. So many times we think of activism and it's only reactionary to what's going on, um, to what what's happening on the news or what Trump did today or something like that. And so we have that sense of activism. But really, when we look at establishing a flourishing society, we have to have a strong civic um, involvement from our people, too, that are not just mm-hmm. business, that's not just governmental, but be involved in these organizations like this that bridge that gap. And um, I think it was Judith Beth, uh, what was her name? It was another writer. I think it's Elstan from Democracy um, on Trial. But the, I love the way she talks about it. Is that these are mediating institutions, right? Civic organizations are mediating institutions between the public and the private sphere. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a collapse of those over the last 20 years. You know, you could read like Robert Putnam's um, Bowling Alone and things like that. And so... Um, one thing that irritates both Angela and I is when there's a lot of like talking about this is what should happen. And this is like, there's a lot of preaching, but there's not a lot of practice. So annoying. And so if we believe that civic organizations serve a role in our society, if we believe that nonprofits and, and the different things like what we're doing are an important thing, then we need to get our butt in gear and be a part of it rather than just telling other people that they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that we're, you know, eating our own cooking and modeling the message and things like that. Now, um, you'll notice that um, our organizations reflect a very um, a very deep bias for education. For me, mm-hmm. it's because education is a pathway for equality. Um, as long as we have huge educational gaps, um, we're going to have differences in economic outcomes for people, which is going to lead to a certain set of environments that only, or a certain set of conditions that only um, privilege people who have money. Um, and 
you know, we can go down that whole line, but I know for when we look at the fact that racial and identity equity is one of my political and social priorities, finding institutions that advance that particular cause is a really important thing to do, right? So SVP does that directly with racial equity. Um, and um, wayfinding has that at its core, that um, the educational system mm -hmm. definitely excludes a lot of people from that experience because they don't fit a certain mold. And so if we want to build a better future, we have to build better educational outcomes for people. And mm -hmm. so that's why I prioritize, well, those are several reasons why I prioritize the institutions I'm a part of, right? It's important generally for us to be involved outside of business, outside of government, outside of just friendships. Um, and specifically, those are my priorities and the ones that I've chosen to advance. And mm -hmm. um, I think, um, why 14th Moon? So so that have gone that way. Why 14th Moon That's for a you? good question. So um, I will say, you know, I'll just start kind of... Um, Spinning off what you said on wayfinding, you know, part of the reason why I'm so committed there and part of that is the need for reform in education and the need to have education. You know, I love that. I'm going to take a little bit of a tangent here, but I love that part of what you're a part of right now is this group that's wanting more pre-K education for certain populations and we're also involved in higher education mm -hmm. right like we see all the way across that timeline and that spectrum where we want to change in education so anyway just wanted to to point that out but you know um specifically the question you asked about why am i involved in 14th moon um there are a couple of reasons one of the reasons for to be um, to be very specific is that it is a community like this one that helped to pull me out of some of my darkest days. And so um, there's a community very similar to 14th Moon um, that was a big part of my coming out of what we've talked about before is the reset and um, the dark time in my life six years ago and reconnecting to and kind of a reawakening of my spiritual core and my spiritual center was a part of that path for me. Um, I will also say that attending that ceremony for the first time, I believe five years ago, um, I had such um such an awakening during that ceremony of the hmm. it's so hard when you start talking about different things around spirituality the right the words that people will understand so i'm i'm just going to say it the way I, the way i understand it and hopefully um people can translate it for themselves um as i was a part of that ceremony the first year I recognized what had been a hole in my life for quite some time. Um, and that specifically with this group, this um, coming together of women of all different ages and backgrounds, um, it's a, I'll just say quickly, it's a ceremony to support and acknowledge elder women in our society, which is something we don't usually do a great job of. Um, but we also honor 
all phases of womanhood. Um, so from, you know, adolescence all the way up through through uh, elder age, there's this honoring. And so for myself, I recognized how much it meant for me to be able to form those bonds and those relationships with women across the age spectrum and across the spectrum when it came to experience, um, life path, all of those different ways, and what it meant to be able to show up and truly honor where these women were at in their lives and listen and give a place and allow for their voices to be heard. And so that had a powerful impact on me. And I didn't realize how powerful of an impact probably until a year or two later as the ripples from that continue to show up for me. And so what that meant for me is that over time I became more and more involved because I know what I lacked in my youth as a young woman and my spirituality and I wanted to help be um, a guide for that for young women. I wanted to be there to honor the elder women, but I also wanted to be there to be a model of sorts and just a place, a person, a place for young women um, to be able to honor their spirituality and recognize the importance of it. Um, so that's, um, that's why it's so important to me. And that's why I um, devote so much energy to that group. Okay. So I know we've talked a lot in setup, mm-hmm. but I think in the setup and the background becomes important of why we're making these choices, mm-hmm. right? Um, because there's one aspect of why we're doing this. Well, there's the last piece of why is why the board. Well, one, we jump in, but I think it's also Angela and I don't have much patience and being passive people in an organization mm-hmm. like and um, we have a um, sometimes annoying pattern of questioning why we do things certain ways and what we can be doing better and things like that and so we naturally gravitate toward like whether or not we want to start <laughs> whether we not we're intentionally starting out to be board members we start asking questions and and start getting involved mm-hmm. in a certain way and it turns out that being on a board is, as far as impact, it's really one of those highest leverage scenarios. Mm-hmm. What I'll say, though, is I, and I believe, Angela, you're the same way on this one, I have chosen to be involved in fewer organizations loosely. Yes. Excuse me. I've, I've chosen to be involved very um, heavily in a smaller amount of organizations mm-hmm. rather than being involved in a whole bunch of things, yep. right, where I'm just showing up and, and gripping and grinning and having dinners and things like that. Because, again, um, I'm not – I just say it this way. I'm not screwing around, right? Like mm-hmm. there are certain things I want to see happen. I know that I don't have as much time. I'm not a huge socialite. Like, I don't like having a bunch of things to go to and having a busy social calendar, Mm -hmm. which means that for me, it makes more sense to pick one, two, or three organizations that I can embed in deeply and and make a real positive change in rather than just being loosely affiliated with a lot of different ones. Yeah, for sure. And I I absolutely would agree with that. I mean, if you look... You know, Charlie, you know this firsthand, but if you look at my involvement in how many organizations and groups I was involved with four years ago, I mean, there were four, three or four other organizations and groups that I was involved in. And 
actively I am no longer involved in them. And it's not because, I mean, I still have great connections to people in those groups um, and what they're doing is great. And it was time for me to focus and to really be able to devote my energy into these two specific organizations. So, but I know it looks different for some people. I mean, some people really want and need that ability to be a part of five or six or seven or eight different organizations, and maybe they give a few hours here and there. Um, so it's just what happens to work well for us. Well, and it's also our skill set too, right? It is, yeah. Um, I'm not particularly great at like, you know, being at events and, and planning events and, you know, sort of just being the person sitting behind a desk for something. I'm not great at phone calls. I'm not great at a lot of the different things that some people might be great at and might be their their particular way of contributing to those organizations. Those are not my gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and my gifts are really on the strategy and strategy execution and team building and process development and, and things like that, mm-hmm. which means that um, for me to find a way to be in to be in relationship with an organization that's best aligned with my gifts, there are certain outcomes that are going to happen from that. So, um, so there's also that at play as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I'm curious, Charlie, if you can talk a little bit about, you know, part of the reason that we want to talk about this today is um, I don't know that. Well, I don't know. Have we had a podcast before where we've actually talked about our volunteerism and our service work? Yeah. So it was something I was like, man, that's really missing. Like that's a huge part of our lives and we haven't really talked much about it. So that's part of why we're talking about it today. But, you know, the other thing is I'm curious, Charlie, if you feel like talking at all about what it has looked like for you to, um, to integrate these two things like into the business um, and why I I know you've talked a little bit about it but but how does how did these two particular organizations and what you're doing um, how does it further your um, professional development your personal development that kind of thing yeah well I'm going to use that word that is used in corporate space too much right synergy Okay. <laughs> right. Um, but it really is a synergistic thing. Like, I know um, it, it's funny, right? Because when you have a, a small business, especially if it's um, what can be considered a personality business, like PF can be, mm-hmm. um, there are sometimes ways in which you build the brand to be different than the people within them, right? And there's other ways, just mm-hmm. the brand is the people within them, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, these particular ones are natural outgrowths of people that I'm involved in with community and so on and so forth. So I'm involved in these because people within the community um, reached out and said, Hey, you should contact such and such or like Terry being the, um, the board chair for SVP and talking to Terry Starbucker for Terry St. Maria's his actual real name, but everybody calls him Terry Starbucker. Yeah. I mean, he's been on the podcast at least once. Um, so Terry asked, he's like, Hey, like, would you, you know, I'd really like you to consider, um, checking into this and seeing if this is a fit. And so it's part, it's a natural sort of embeddedness between who I am and, and who I'm and how I'm developing as a person, as I mentioned with the political and sort of social priorities. Mm-hmm. Now, professionally, it's been interesting. And so when you asked, there are multiple ways we could look at how, so how I've embedded this into my per, my professional work, mm-hmm. you know, it's actually, we can say exceptionally, but we can also say it's been a huge challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because as anyone might know, like as you're on board, you switch into committee 
leadership or committee um, decision-making, and which is way different than small business or sort of a executive decision-making that you might experience in the military, where it's like, you know, you're building consensus, you're building alliances, you're, you're getting everybody's input, so on and so forth to build maps. And so the way I see it is it's been a, a good and new learning period of um, learning a new form of leadership with people who are um, many times my elders when it comes to professional things. Like I'm mm-hmm. one of the youngest board members um, for wayfinding, but I'm a board chair and I'm looking at people who've been multiple board chairs. I'm looking. And so I've got a lot of mentors to learn from. And I know for me, I thrive when I have new growth edges that I'm pursuing and I have mentorships and I have key outcomes. It's, mm-hmm. you know, there's a place in which you have to look at the fact that, and, and I think um, Jeffrey Davis and I talked about this um, recently on the podcast. I'm not sure whether this one's going to air before Jeffrey's, but either way, one of you know um, Jeffrey's post coming out or episode coming out is is just one of those things of realizing that your business can't fuel all parts of you, right? PF by design is always going to be a small team, right? I'm never, I can't imagine PF growing um, and and being what it is with having you know, 216 people, like when I was in the military or 219, mm-hmm. depending upon the day, right? Um, to where there's not that sort of ability to do big things just based upon the amount of people that you have within your core team itself, mm-hmm. right? So that's the other thing is that it's giving another context for leadership, another context for taking on um, big goals that we cannot do within PF itself because PF is not designed. It's the wrong vehicle for that. And there's a lot of things we can do through PF and a lot of things that we do through PF. But I can't, um, with PF structure alone, I can't bridge the gap in pre-K education here mm-hmm. in Portland. It's not designed to do that. Um, I can't make a huge um, difference when it comes to higher education outcomes. not designed to do that. However... Um, building the way the other way I see it is building these solutions are something that members of the community could support something that, that, that I could talk to the members of the community. I could look at, you know, every member of our community and if they've got a kid going through or they've got, you know, a student thinking about going to school, I can say, well, um, let's talk about where education fits in and have you considered some of these other types of things. And, um, by the way, there's a wayfinding Academy that's addressing these particular issues because, Angela, you know this because you've been involved in so many of the conversations. The Wayfinding Academy is the type of school we wish would have existed when we went through Mm -hmm. our undergraduate education. And so all the critiques that we have of undergraduate education, there's now a model that I can say, hey, have you considered this? We, I am building something for you, or I'm I'm co-creating something for you and your family and, and the people you love here. I can't do that through PF. Um, and so it's also testing boundaries and, you know, there's another conversation. I think when, when we had the well done or burnout conversation, a few podcast Mm -hmm. episodes ago, like I've already been on the, um, watch for how much work, professional work I'm taking on anyways. And so when you add things on top of this, it makes me be super disciplined about what I'm doing with MPF and it's cutting a lot of fat and dead weight. Mm-hmm. from my schedule just because I don't have time for it, right? Um, nature abhors a vacuum, right? And so <laughs> the more that you have sort of loose and unstructured time 
unintentional unstructured time. Now, there's intentional unstructured time that can be really beneficial for us. But um, for me, I find that, you know, I'd much rather spend um, 30 minutes talking to someone about wayfinding or within wayfinding or SVP than 30 minutes grazing on Facebook about what's what's going on, right? Because the latter doesn't actually do anything except for give me a somewhat of a mental break, sometimes at the cost of an emotional break. Mm-hmm. Whereas the former conversation actually advances a mission where we're building a better tomorrow. And um, so um, personal growth has been really huge as I've um, been challenged in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. And... Um, it's been humbling in a lot of ways, right? Because um, you're surrounded by really smart people who are most of the time 15 to 20 years further along in their career. Mm-hmm. And so I'm learning from them and I'm learning what I don't know. But it's also been affirming in a lot of ways because even though I'm younger, I still have a lot to offer that that's being valued by my elders. And um, so those are some of the ways in which um, it, it's, it's been a good thing, even though it's been challenging, even though it's been like, you know, I don't know, I'll, I'll give a specific example here. Cause it's always a good one. Right. Um, in wayfinding Academy right now, and we talked about this publicly, so I'm not revealing like confidential secrets. Um, up until now, Michelle Jones, the academic president has also been the board chair. Mm-hmm. Okay. The effective board chair, which means the function of the board and how it works has been really idiosyncratic to her and what she's thinking about. And so as a pattern, the organization and board members have gotten used to asking Michelle everything mm-hmm. and Michelle being sort of basically holding all that together. Well, I'm having to go through and be like, okay, I'm not Michelle. I don't know what Michelle knows. Mm-hmm. And if we are going to be a somewhat separate entity, we got to start standing some of these processes and systems up, which is what I do anyways. Mm -hmm. But just figuring out like, Angela, you know this about me, but I suppose everybody else probably does. Like if I don't, if I can't figure out the then part of an if then statement, I get really stuck. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I need to contact the rest of the board, then I, or excuse me, if I need to contact an individual of the board, then I do X. Well, right now, if I do X, like I don't have all of the contact information because we don't have them consolidated in a way that's super easy for me. So I'm like thinking, how are we going to do this? Or if I need something done, then I do X, right? So if I need us to create a list of the different chairs and and, uh, committees and everything, how do we do that? It's not me because it's not my job as board chair to do everything. Um, And if it is, I resign. (laughs) Um, but it's my job to make sure that we have processes and things like that. And so just going through this sort of awkward period of, um, needing to do a whole bunch where it's not there, but importantly, it's not my sole say, because if this were PF, Angela knows, everybody in team knows, like I'll build a system in a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, I'll build a workflow in a system. Like if I can't, I'll figure out what that then is and build it right then. And then we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't do that. Um, I have to approach it differently uh, because I'm not just building a system for me and my team. I'm building a system that in a few years, when my term as board chair is over, I can hand that to someone else mm-hmm. who might not have the same team, mm-hmm. who might not have the same um, mission, who might not have the same set of skills that I've got. 
So I've got to build something that um, is different than what I would build in PF. And that's been a huge, huge sort of learning experience all over again. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I could see how that would happen. And I think, so tell me about some of your experiences as far as in either wayfinding or 14th moon. Um, you know, I will say if we're kind of sticking with the question of how, how has it integrated into my professional or personal development, that, that specific question, I can say, um, that I feel like my leadership skills have been tested and challenged and gotten so much better than they were even a couple of years ago. Um, that is one thing I can I can say with absolute certainty. Um, I have become very comfortable with um, oh, what's the right way to say this? <laughs> Charlie's over there chuckling. Um, I've become very comfortable with using my voice um, and speaking up and making clear my perspective. Um, and I would say 99% of the time, it's actually been taken very well. And it's been incredibly helpful to the organizations and groups that I've been a part of. I would say that I am one of those people who for a very long time would keep a lot of my ideas and thoughts in because I didn't want to rock the boat at all. Um, I was always there to help and to lend a hand for sure, but I didn't want to be seen as someone who was kind of like the new kid on the block who thought they knew everything or Especially, you know, with both of these groups, I think of, you know, one of the younger people. Um, and I guess I've always kind of thought of my position as being, you know, a few rungs below that because of my age. Um, but I've learned that I, um, I do have a wealth of experience to, um, to use and to to help these organizations from the things that I've done professionally and using those in these settings have helped me professionally in that I am able to better show up in our team here at PF, but also better able to ask the hard questions and push my clients and um, help them get the results that they need um, by uh, still being kind and compassionate, but also kind of holding that sometimes tough line uh, when it comes to leadership. So that's definitely been one of my biggest uh, growth areas over the last couple of years. You kind of skirted around the fact that you've been engaging in and facilitating hard questions as a lot this year, our hard conversations. Okay. Year, right. And so I'm curious about the angle that you took on that, because, you know, there's part of where I think earlier you set an intention to get better at engaging and facilitating with hard conversations. And mm -hmm. turns out that what you've been doing in both um, settings and also in the business and also in a personal life, like you've had plenty of opportunities to do so. 
Um, I'm curious why you sidestepped that. Um, why ask that question again, please? Um, in our conversations, you've mentioned that that's been one of the, the things that you've learned most and that you think you've developed most, a lot of like sort of presence and, um, backbone around those conversations. Okay. Being the, able to have and facilitate hard conversations mm-hmm. that, yeah. Um, but had I not pulled that out, like we could have skipped through the whole conversation and people not know that. So yeah. was that an intentional overlooking or were you just, uh, no, I don't, okay. I actually, no, I don't know that that was an intentional overlooking. I guess I was thinking about the broader, the broader stroke of the leadership in general, but yeah, no, you're, and I'm glad that you bring that up because that's been a very, um, a very interesting development for me. And you and I have had some really fascinating conversations about that over the the last few months and quarters that um, I think one of the things that maybe you knew for a while is that at least between the two of us, I'm able to engage in and facilitate tough conversations. But I've taken that and I've taken it outside of that, like to our team and to this council that I'm a part of and to this board that I'm a part of. And it's been a huge growth edge for me, a huge growth edge. Um, There's been, you know, there's been some fright in some ways around it, but there's also just been an honoring and a recognition of wow, I'm actually one of those people who knows how to facilitate and stay in difficult conversations. And I don't know that it's really a skill I want to have, but um, I do recognize that it's actually an incredibly fortuitous skill to have, and it's very important, and it's one that a lot of people and organizations need. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, that has been a part of this leadership development for me. And so here's where it gets interesting because it's super like developing the skill of, you know, um, engaging with hard conversations or tough conversations can be really challenging to do in your own, um, personal relationships with your partner and with your kids and with, you know, Mm -hmm. your team, if you're an entrepreneur or, you know, um, or, you know, if you're a manager in an organization, it could be super hard. Um, and so that's another sort of thing that I at least want to encourage people to think about being involved in civic things like this, especially if you do decide to become board members or you, mm-hmm. you, you get engaged at that level, is it gives you another place to practice. Yeah. And I think that's what people forget so oftentimes, so many times, is that all of these are skills you have to practice. Yeah. And no one is really born with the skill of, um, you know, having these tough conversations and sticking with it and mediating um, conflict and things like that. You're not Mm -hmm. born with that. And if Mm -hmm. you don't build the context for which you do that, you'll lose the muscle even if you had it, right? Yeah. And that's why it's important to have different venues in which you do these types of things. Um, Mm -hmm. And when you pick a certain thing, and I don't remember exactly when or I don't know – how, how you came up with the theme of, of being able to engage in hard conversations like earlier this year or sometime in the past. But mm-hmm. 
um, these become a vehicle for you to be able to pursue one's own personal development while yeah. serving your community at large, right? Yeah, for sure. Without making your home a place that's full of conflict or growth <laughs> or change or tension or failure, right? Because sometimes mm -hmm. you don't need that, right? Like mm -hmm. Angela and I, we've been together um, going on 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so um, we have, over that time, um, learned how to have some... Um, awkward, tough, challenging, scary, vulnerable conversations with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and we learned um, one of the things we don't want to do is to make our relationship that place to where we're always growing and stretching and pushing things because it's very, very nice to come home. Yeah. Right. It's very, very nice to in. And we work from home too. Right. So we don't want to be just in that level of conflict and strife and, and growth, which are always the growing pains that, that, that accompany growth. Mm -hmm. Turns out that having them in outside organizations that are of service to your community mm -hmm. is a great way um, to build this sort of synergy or to build this sort of um, life, this good life where um, you're able to grow and develop in service of other people and not stay stagnant and not try to make your existing relationships, whether those relationships are with your teammates um, or it's with your business or with your partner or with your family, be the relationships that have to feed all parts of you, mm -hmm. um, which is a recipe for a lot of suffering. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What I will say, though, is there's a downside. So we've talked about a lot of the good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, at least riffing off of what you just said, um, you know, the cost of having a lot of those hard conversations and things like that for you is like um, that creates either less emotional bandwidth in other parts of your <laughs> life or um, it just adds on to the sort of emotional load that you have um, anyways. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that or? Yeah, I think I, I mean, I think I can probably speak a little bit to that. And I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're what you're asking about or getting at, but. One of the things that I've noticed for myself, and I would say this is definitely on the personal development side of it, but as I've, as my leadership has developed and as my ability to facilitate and foster these difficult conversations has developed, my personal resilience has developed greatly with that. And so it is, it's an incredibly important balance to think about, like, even though I am getting better at leadership and I'm getting better at having these hard conversations and facilitating difficult discussions within groups, there's still an emotional cost to that. Like, and even though I've built my resilience, I think in a great way, it's important to take into account like each bit of that that you do chips away at your energy. And so one of the things I've had to do here at the same time is think about how do I, as my cup becomes depleted, how am I continuing to fill it up? And so that's a, um, there are times where I feel like I've got a great balance there. And then there are other times where I'm just like, I'm holding my, my head and asking myself like, Angela, you're one of the people that like, that helps people with having work-life balance and you you preach and you help them come up with plans and strategies. And what are you doing right now? But I'm, you know, I have to be kind and accept my humanness and understand that a part of my ability to to teach that and be there for people is because of my own <laughs> struggles that continue to happen and my recognition of 
um, just how delicate of a balance that can be. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's kind no, of that what answers you were... it. Yeah, and, and part of part of with our different roles is that, um, like, I've had to learn, I've struggled with building more margin mm-hmm. into my life because a lot of the issues that wash up on my shore are not of my own creation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's somebody else does something, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh wow, like this is a conversation. And it's not always bad. It's like someone does something great, and it's like, what's our response? Like, how do we mm-hmm. channel this? And so there's a lot more that's outside of our sphere of influence or control that become that lands in our lot in our lap, right? And mm-hmm. so that's again like you can't run at 120 percent in general because you know theoretically, but even if you're running at 100 percent, you can't do these types of things because you will get thrown out. Uh, I mean, you will have a lot displaced because you know the way life is; multiple things hit you at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've learned, I've gotten better at prioritizing at the same time that my challenge has been prioritizing as well. And boundaries have been huge because yeah. there's just certain things where I want to commit to something. Mm-hmm. I want to get involved and help that particular thing or I want to say yes to that, but I know I can't. Yeah. Right. And so it, it's it's been a huge learning curve. And I'd say the third thing is that like my, the systems that make me effective within my life and within PF, mm-hmm. um, you know, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but like they don't quite exist there. So I've had to be much more intentional. I've had much, many, many more failures mm-hmm. about like communication and coordination and planning and, and things like that, just because I don't have the, the net and the system that helps me remain focused and structured in these other things. I'm learning as, as I go. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful that I'm learning as I go because it makes me super appreciative of what I have within my life and with my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it also makes me a better teacher because I recognize what it's like when you're outside of those and you don't have those nets. And it's, so it's, it's been catalytic and that's the best way that I want to say it's been, it's yeah. catalyzed all sorts of other things, um, that has, um, helped us grow and has helped us have new awareness. And I think we don't realize what we can do and who we are in a lot of ways, until we have the external situations that reflect those things back to us mm-hmm. and that give us the mission or that gives us the trial or gives us the scenario or opportunity in which to play out what we can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And I really appreciate you bringing, you know, kind of feels like it comes back around full circle there, right? You know, you talk about... Um, you know, we started with talking about the volunteerism and the service, but then how much it's interrelated with the professional and the personal growth. And it all, it just, um, there's just this beautiful circle that, that happened there and how they all connect with one another. Um, yeah. All right. So, you know, a major reason I think I've, I wanted to have this conversation is because I think so many people are looking for how to thrive and flourish and, and do great things in the world and are thinking really limitedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to say, like, you look for those places to volunteer and to be of service in your local community mm-hmm. and align those things with the ways that you're wanting to grow. Um, you will be challenged, yeah. but our growth comes oftentimes when we're challenged not when we're comfortable. Absolutely. All righty, guys. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. 
To get more resources that'll help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.